You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that and like you right now. So be encouraged and let your light shine. Freezing in here. I know. I said that when I walked in. Okay, Kate, let me this verify. This is like the second day in a row I've seen you in shorts. What I know. What is going on with you? Oh, if I would have known if it was going to feel like this, I would have put pants on. Polar suit. Vision Bible College. I know. And then a bachelor's in business, a master's in business. Do you want to write And this then down? a master's in educational leadership. Yes. Is that the official term? Yes. You ready? No. Which hobbies yeah. should I tell them about? Yours. I don't care. No, yours. I have hobbies. Grocery shopping. I do love grocery shopping. You're an odd. It's You're Walmart. Odd That's where the craziest people <laughs> in the universe are. So you Including yourself? I just go to watch. Yeah, I know. There's probably some kid following me around like, I swear to God, Danos is there, Mom. Watch. He's here. He's here. <laughs> but I like just walking around. Here's my thing. My deal is that I go very early in the morning. Yeah, see, that's even better. Really? Yeah, I, I the feel crazy like crazies I get a are out there. Mellow crowd oh. in the morning. It's normally the senior citizens who I'm walking with at that time. Yeah, those are. They're good usually too. fully clothed. I do well, appreciate them. But then they do other weird things. <laughs> I haven't I, experienced them so far. Oh, I love every ounce. You never know what you're gonna see. Is anything off the table? Ooh. This is fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's stuff off the table. Probably two-thirds of my life is off the table. <laughs> it's not open for discussion. This is the clean version? Oh, I wanted oh, it to gosh, be over in about six and a half minutes. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, I didn't click Are we that. doing this or what? Well, geez, yeah. Well, you okay. got to warm up a little bit. I need bit. to turn whoa, myself whoa, up whoa, a little whoa, bit. Whoa. You're warmed up. Get to it. You know how eights work. Let's get this show on the road. I ain't here to. Who's an eight? I'm a freaking ten. <laughs> okay. I'm a perfect okay. ten. Let's not Got even it. get all whacked out on this eight garbage. <laughs> Which Sounds is exactly like why we know you're. An I'm ace. a perfect ten. That's exactly what an eight would say. <laughs> Count it off. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Eliza. No, you have to give your real name on your you on this podcast. Do. That's what he calls me. That's I do what he call her Eliza. Really? Yeah. Regularly? Yeah. Like at home? Yeah. Liza. Why? It's a beautiful name. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Eliza Beth. Oh, my gosh. All right. Wait, do you call me something? I call you Catherine. Catherine. I knew it. I was like, you don't call me Kate. No. It's Catherine. And we're here today with my favorite person in the whole wide world. Aww. My husband, my partner in life. Mark, That's great. we've been waiting for almost two years to have you on the show, so welcome. Thanks. Glad to have you here. Oh, my excitement can't be measured by modern science. I know it's past your bedtime, so. <laughs> oh my gosh, it is, isn't it? It's 8.05. Yeah, it's at least six minutes behind. <laughs> Mark was born in Germany. It's true. Father was in the Air Force. They moved back to Cincinnati, Ohio. Is your mom German? Do I not know your history at all? Yeah, you are botching this <laughs> terribly. Where did you come from? <laughs> I, came, I was born in Wiesbaden, Germany, 
actually in Brom and lived in Wiesbaden, Germany. And then they came back to Maryland first, I think, then eventually made it to Cincinnati, Ohio. And then we moved a lot. Until he was 10 years old, where he landed in Madison, Ohio. Hmm. He graduated. He was a blue streak from Madison High School. Yes. He was a swimmer. I did swim around a little bit. And he went to Ohio State for three years until the wheels fell off of that bus. <laughs> My buses are good. If you get on a bus with <laughs> oh me, gosh. things are not good. Did you leave Ohio State? I was asked to leave Ohio State. Okay. Were you swimming in Ohio? I mean, were that you would be why I was asked to leave Ohio State. Are we I talking was, about this? Sure. I, oh, okay. That part I don't care. Mark went to Ohio State on a swimming scholarship. Oh. And was there for three years. What happened at Ohio State? I found a thing called steroids and tested positive at very important swim meet. <laughs> I was a black eye to Ohio State, so they invited me to no longer participate in their events. Didn't help that I didn't go to a lot of classes either. Oh, my God. (laughs) After Ohio State, he picked up his belongings and moved across the United States to California and spent some time in San Diego, where he found out he was diagnosed with cancer. Wait, question, though. At one point, were you prepping for the Olympics, or is this all in my brain? Am I, I wrong? Was, yeah. Was that in San Diego? No. It was at Ohio State. That was at Ohio. Okay. So you went to San Diego to go to school or just to take a break? To run away. Okay. Basically just to run away. How from... did you, before you were diagnosed with cancer, did you feel ill? No. Or you were... How I got diagnosed with cancer is, see, I had like this ego thing, especially when I was a little kid. <laughs> and some friends of mine had taught me how to surf and I thought I was legendary surfer. And they're like, hey, there's a hurricane down by Cabo. Let's go surf it. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And I got onto an enormous wave in Cabo and it turns out I'm a really terrible surfer. And I got launched straight down off of this gigantic wave. In the process, I was driven down pretty deep and nailed the reef. The problem is the reef is a living organism, so if it gets into your flesh, it can actually cause what's called reef rash, which is the reef actually starts to grow in your skin. Oh, oh. So anyway, it tore me up pretty good. So my friends drug me out and took me up to the hospital, and while they were there, they discovered there was a couple of nods down in the lower portion of my back, down way low, so like getting real down into the nether areas. They found out those were not normal. So then when I got back to San Diego, they tested and found out those were cancerous. And it was stemmed from a combination of the liver and the testicles. So that was like totally a God thing then, that you got driven into the reef, totally jacked up. I guess. Out, I mean, that was just hospital. an idiot thing too, though. Like, <laughs> I know, but you you weren't feeling badly. No, I had been having like a lot of lower back pains and my energy was like sapped. Huh. But you know, as a kid, yeah. so I just ignored it. And so when they said this is cancer, they said this is really bad cancer or? No, they said this is cancer. We're going to need to check what we have. We're going to have to go through some tests and stuff like that. And that's kind of like when I guess both the wheels on my bus derailed and then kind of my life took a major swing in a whole different direction, which I'm sure you're going to get into this here shortly anyway. Good. Literally the, the individual whom I moved out to San Diego with, as we were walking out of the doctor's office, she said, I can't be a nurse's aide. And I said, you know what? Just 
go to bed, sleep on it, and I will talk to you uh, tomorrow. I didn't really sleep much that night, and I had to get up early. So at like 5, I got up and went to Macy's to work. That's where I worked. And when I got home, there was a note. I've left. I'm in New York, and she had gone back to New York. Not just left. She left like all the way across America to get away from me. I was like, wow, that was brutal. But I didn't have really any time to feel bad about it because I started treatment the next morning. Whoa. So, and I got lucky. I got, well, lucky. I, I knew there was no way we could afford the medical that was on it. I had to have surgery to remove a tumor from a very sensitive part of the human body. I had a couple of things that had to be done and removed. They were external to the liver, but still they need to be pulled out. So we did that. It drained a lot of my cash reserves. Mom, dad, they chimed in on some of that also. But then Kaiser Permanente, which was the big medical firm out there at the time, stepped up and they're like, hey, you know, we have this experimental program. Yours is pretty aggressive. So we're more than willing to put you as part of our experimental program. We'll pay for all of the bills and everything, but whatever we use is what we use. And as a kid, I was like, eh, whatever, I don't care. I can't pay this bill. I mean, so I was like, all right, sure, fine. And I signed basically over my life to do that. And they used all these crazy experimental drugs on me. And so all you people who've gone through chemo, you're welcome. Wow. Yeah, it was miserable. Like I told Beth, I think when I first met her, she's like, would you do it again? It's like, no, I would just let myself die. I would never do that treatment again. It was so brutal. How long was that? Well, first round we went through, I want to say it was like seven months with an on-again, off-again treatment cycle. And then I kind of advanced and things were okay. And then it was just a, a relapse probably like three months later. And then I had like another six-month cycle. I think I only had about two weeks and then it came back. So they, they test for, I can't remember what it's called, the cancerous levels anyway. They tested for that and they're like, oh, it's back and it seems to be aggressive. So they blasted away. They had actually opened me up again to see if there was another growth in there. Didn't really do anything at that point. We had more treatment. And then when I actually came out of the last surgery and the last big treatment, they're like, yeah, you know what? It's probably best you just go home and get your things in order because this isn't working and you're sliding downhill pretty quick. And that was in December 1995. Correct. He packed his bags and his car and drove all the way back to Madison. I didn't make it. Remember, I had... (laughs) Well, eventually you did. Yeah, halfway across, I developed a kidney stone, which is pretty common for chemo. So I was stuck in Peoria, Illinois for... Yeah, like seven days in Peoria, Illinois, while they had to remove a kidney stone. He made it to Ohio. He was told to get his affairs in order because they didn't expect him to live very long. They did not. And then what happened? I met the love (laughs) of my life. A crazy, crazy, psychotic, awesome, beautiful human being named Beth Horvath. A mutual friend of ours. Yeah. I ran into her. I don't even remember where I ran into her. She's like, you got to come swim with me and this other girl. No. Okay, sure. So I went to the pool to swim with Beth and ended up meeting this Beth, mm-hmm. and she thought I was a jerk. Oh. She was probably right. Initial reaction? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, like, it was. No I comment. mean, he wasn't a jerk to me, but I'm like, he's probably a jerk, and mm. we will just be friends, because I'm not dating any more jerks. She married me. 
Mm. Yeah. So not a jerk. I'm freaking charming jerk. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Let's get it straight. <laughs> she actually asked if I was interested in coaching her swim team. I'm like, oh, I'm not doing anything else but dying. Why not? So I saw her a lot, and we got to talking, and we got to know each other, and things kind of got better. And you knew through the whole process that he had cancer and was yeah. Our friend like he- told, and I'm like, I hope you're not trying to fix me up because I am not interested. But thank you very much. She told me he was coming home to die of cancer. So that was always our joke. Is she, like when I was like, eh. Figured I'm dying. I may as well ask her to marry me. And that's like, eh. Figured he was dying. I may as well say yes. Didn't work out for her. So did you continue chemo in Ohio? No. No. So all the treatments were over, which was, this was kind of where the weird part was. So what I had to do is go into the Cleveland Clinic, which was partnered up with them in this experiment for the second half, which Kaiser was paying for it. And I did what was basically immune boosters and... I remember what it was called, but it was something that was supposed to help raise my white blood cell count. Mm. Well, I don't know. How long was it? It wasn't long after I had actually met Beth, and we had started hanging out. Like, I was getting ready to just say, I oh, forget it. I'll go back to San Diego and die. This will be fine. And then when I went back to Cleveland Clinic, the doctor came in, and he was like, I'm not sure how to tell you this, but we're not seeing any signs of cancer anywhere. I'm like, wow, that's seriously weird. Were they wrong out in San Diego? Did they do the test wrong? Did they just blast me for nothing? There was some like some neurological and some muscular issues, but nothing cancer-wise. Like I had spasms out of nowhere for no reason, and that was results of the treatments that I had. But I would say probably within six months of meeting Beth, I was showing no signs of anything. So people were like, I don't believe in miracles. I was like, well, you're stupid. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Wake up. And then I was cancer free and I had Beth and. You had me? Oh, yeah. I took her skiing, (laughs) just about killed her. (laughs) Mark was married in 1997. I was. So was Beth. (laughs) To me, we have three kids. We do. Jacob's 23, Jordan's 21, and daughter Jaden is 15. 15. We also have a daughter in law, Jenna. We got another Jay. Mark was in the retail industry for almost 20 years. And at one point, having three kids and two jobs, retail is not family friendly. Mm-mm. We did an assessment and I asked him, what is it that you're passionate about? What do you really want to do? And he sat down and he made a list. And I said to him, you need to be teaching. Mark went back to school. He got a Bible degree from Vision Bible College. And then he went on to get a business degree from Indiana Wesleyan University, followed up by a master's in business at Indiana Wesleyan. And then he just loved school so much, he got his master's in educational leadership. That's a true story. That's a lot of education. Well, I had the crossover to education also, which was part of the master's thing. That always seems to get discarded. It's a lot. I mean, that's amazing. I don't know if I know anyone with as many degrees as you hold. Well done. My wife made me do it. (laughs) (laughs) He has been teaching physical education, Bible, and health at Heartland Christian School for the past 14 years. He was the beloved Mr. S, taught kindergarten through 12th grade, and has just taken a new job as a principal at a Christian school in Pennsylvania. He starts Friday. His hobbies are mowing the grass, grocery shopping. 
He's a trooper. He'll go to five different grocery stores to get everything on the list. I love him for that because I hate grocery shopping. Oh, I love it. He will, at a drop of a hat, drive across the country to help out his boys. He's driven to Colorado and California. I've actually driven from coast to coast for both of my kids. Yes. Oh, God bless you. I love driving across America. Do you? It's an amazing place. I'm good with road travel. I just was not blessed with family that's good with road. Well, my daughter, she's a great road warrior. Jacob? Mm. <laughs> Beth? Oh. We get to Akron. She's like, how much farther? Well, like, 32 hours. <laughs> that's like me. That's you, too? Chris, all Chris wants to do is drive down to Florida. He's a beautiful man with a great Chris haircut. He wants to drive to Florida. And I'm like, I will meet you down there. I will meet you at the airport when my plane lands. <laughs> Mark has been at the Upper Room since 2003. Oh. Is that when we moved here? Yep. He did a stint as teaching junior high Sunday school class for a while. Oh, yeah. All the pre-K kids who go to Heartland. Hang on him. All Sunday. I think he's a jungle gym. Yeah. So. (laughs) Every Sunday is a special Sunday for you. It really is. Do you prep for Sunday just like, calm, peace, calm, peace, and go in? Been doing it long enough now. It's. He's a rock star like in the attacked by all of these children. Elementary. World. I really enjoy it that I'm not allowed to walk down certain hallways in the school during certain periods of the day. You can't That's, do it. They're like, you've got to find a different route. <laughs> they love him. They do. So, Mark, glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. I like that you ended that with a question mark. <laughs> well, if I wasn't here, it means I didn't get promoted. So, yeah, I'm really glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us, Mark, who or what turned your light on? Uh, This is a two-parter. So my very first one was, I don't know why this happened. Uh, I got into a little bit of trouble when I first started my chemo treatment. I went out with a bunch of my friends, and we had a bottle of non-water-based material with us on the beach. And several of my friends were involved in some other illegal activities. And we were sitting around a bonfire, and we got caught. And I had to go appear before the beach magistrate. And it was a pretty cool guy. He's like, so I see you are involved in Kaiser Permanente with the cancer program. And he goes, you know, I have something I think would be perfect for you. And it's a great sentence of some sort to help you to kind of pull it together for this behavior. I was like, all right, what? And he's like, well, we have a child there who would love to have a big brother. I would like for you for the next, I think it was like three or four months, to serve as the big brother for this child. All right, whatever. How old? And he's like, she's eight years old. She has some medical issues. I wasn't at all prepared for what was about to happen. It was the ultimate life change of all time. So I went in. I was on a two-day-off cycle. So I didn't have to go in for my treatment for like two more days when I went in to meet Amanda. That was literally when I met the most important woman in my life up to that point. It was Amanda Lee Morrison. She was this eight-year-old little girl, most frail thing you've ever seen in your life. Biggest heart, best smile of all time. Had so many dreams and everything. She was also dying. She had child leukemia and a couple of other issues within her system which she was super frail like if she bumped her like you know how you get bruises all the time if she had bumped her leg against a bed it probably would have broke you know she was super frail which 
is really going to be risky when I tell you what we did later is the big brother, big sister thing. So anyway, Amanda and I, we hung out all the time. A lot of the times it was just literally sitting in the room laughing and watching weird cartoons. She liked some weird, she loved it and she laughed and always was laughing and always was happy. Even when we would laugh and then throw up in the bucket next to us because we were in the middle of our treatments and stuff. And they really weren't doing a lot of treatment for her. They were saying there really was nothing that could be done for her. So then the pinnacle came. I was like, you know, what's the one big thing you want to do in this life? She's like, I really want to go to a Padres baseball game. Well, she was kind of confined in her room. So I do not recommend this to any person that's out there. If you're listening to this, I, and I snuck her out of the hospital and took her to a Padres game. <laughs> We got a lot of trouble for that one, but we went and watched the Padres game and it was great. And that was when the Padres were doing really well and we got real close to which I started to think, man, what if she got hit with a foul ball? Would that be the end of the party? So I was really vigilant that day, but we had a ball. We had more fun than, uh, I don't know. I, I, I love that little girl. So we came back and she's super happy, but then she got really, really sick and couldn't move, but smiled every time I saw her. And I'd come in, and I'd be miserable. And so I asked her, I was like, Andy, you got to tell me. I was like, you have every reason in this world to be unhappy, to be sad, to hate life, to just resent everything. Why are you so happy? And she's like, big bro, you just got to give Jesus a try. That started me on the journey to Mm. this next round. And then... Then I met Beth when I came to Ohio, and that was a huge game changer for a lot of the things that that wasn't an instantaneous process. (laughs) Beth will attest to that, but (laughs) it was a huge change. Shortly after I got home, remember? do you remember? Was it January or February? It was shortly after we met. I found out that Mandy had passed. You know, that was devastating, but for some reason, I felt very calm and very good about it. And I was comfortable with the direction that everything was going. And I was comfortable with the direction things were going with Beth. Everything seemed right. So those were my big things that really got me on the right path. So you didn't grow up in a Christian household? Actually, (laughs) well, we grew up in the Lutheran church. Okay. Mom and dad took my brother and I to church every Sunday so they could have two and a half hours without the boys home. Would I say we were like devout to what we did? No, I was totally aware of Christianity, who Christ was, God and all that. But I can't say that it was a firm part of my life at that point. It was just mom and dad need a little time, so you guys are going to church. Yeah, so I had like a few misconceptions about the purpose of church. <laughs> just a little. Okay, talk to me though how that affects watching Amanda and you having cancer. I mean, really experiencing the brink of death and watching death. When you look at a person who knows their body's falling apart, if they sneeze too hard, they could snap something. And they're smiling and they're happy. And they know that there's way better coming for them. And she's eight. She didn't even taste life. When you see that, you start thinking it wasn't. It wasn't instantaneous. It wasn't like I went and grabbed a Bible. It just was part of the thought. And it was like, and I think that was part of the thought because up until then, I mean, I love San Diego. I loved it like you wouldn't believe. It was an amazing place. When they said, it's time to get your affairs in order, you know, I heard audibly in my own head, all right, it's time to go home. We got to get things right with mom and dad. And I wouldn't say things were terrible, but 
there was a lot of shame and a lot of guilt from the swimming and the Ohio State thing. That, there was a lot to that. I heard it. I felt it. I knew it. It's time to head home. And listening to that, I think that was that first big leap of faith led to all of the big changes. And when we got together, I don't recommend this, girls. (laughs) This is just our story. But it was kind of like, hey, if we're going to get married, I'm not marrying a non-believer. So if we're going to get married, we're going to be Christians. We're going to go to church. We're going to raise our kids as Christians. And Mark was like, sure. Pretty much. I was like, all right, let's... So we started going to church, and he got baptized, and our pastor came over to our house and walked him through the... So that, you went through the motions at that point, but talk to us about that journey. That was almost 25 years ago. See, I hate the word journey, because it makes it sound like the adventure's over, and it's not. It's still (laughs) continuing. Now that part of your journey. Now that you're at the end. No, I'm not at the end. Wow, am I dying? What are you talking about here? Does something happen to me I don't know about? No, you were just saying, like, talking about the journey makes it sound like... Yeah, it just was part of the adventure. I mean, it's been an interesting process from step one to now, and it's still advancing at this point. Every step of the way, it's just a different... You know, Beth and I just recently took up this whole... Each morning, we wake up and we do communion together... I think that's a really great idea, doing communion together every morning. It is. Mm-hmm. And it's... Reading the Bible. Yeah. Read the Bible, do communion with one another, have prayer. So tell us, Mark, what lights you up? So this is a multi-step thing. So one, it's my wife. Definitely my wife. She is a major catalyst and major inspiration for me. I've watched her through all of her ministry. I've watched her through work. I've watched her through being a mother. I've watched her through tolerating a just off-the-wall husband. That's exceptionally inspirational to me. It means a lot, and it drives me, and it helps me to think, yeah, I need to be a better man. So that's one. Step two are my kids through all different levels. All of this parenting thing, though, it's been, see a lot of awesome. Even through the bad, I see a lot of awesome. And I see a lot of inspiring, and it, you know, it just challenges me into who I am, how I react, how I speak, stuff like that. Uh, And then my kids at school, they are a big influence on me. You know, it's, can I tell a funny story about my first, when I first started working at Heartland, I got together with some friends of mine, and we went to a Super Bowl party. And I really wasn't there drinking or doing anything weird, but we were with a lot of friends who were. The news came by of all things to happen and started interviewing. And at our table, there must have been beer bottles and there was like some shot glasses. And one guy was laying face down on the table. And there's me. They're like, so what are you here for? And I'm like, oh, this is not going to go well. And Dallas Lehman, who was our administrator at the time, he's like, do you know where I saw you yesterday? I'm like, I have a pretty good idea where you saw me, but why don't you tell me? It didn't go well. So, you know, it's thinking about those things, you know, what's the influence? When that's what he said, he goes, you know, what message did you send to your kids? Because you're highly respected and kids look up to you, you know, they draw from you. And then what message did you send them? You know, I think about that a lot, especially when I'm with my kids. What do I say? What do I do? How do I behave? So my students, they're a huge influence on me. That's a huge play in my life as well. So it's kind of a three-parter there. But they drive me. They they drive me. All three drive me to 
try to be a little bit better each day. I don't make it every day, but I try. <laughs> I think what's so fascinating, though, as a teacher, you go into affect lives, you go into change lives, or kind of to have the opportunity to make a mark, a good one. But it is fascinating how much of an effect that the students have on you. Yeah. And after leaving, stepping out of that, I mean, I, I'd go for months like, oh, because you miss that, not only, you know, having the effect, but the effect that they do have on you. It's something and it's really hard to explain. And it's hard to talk about unless you've experienced. Yeah, like today was, well, tomorrow probably worse, but today was the hardest day I've ever had in class because mm -hmm. a lot of the teachers were like, our kids made you cards and they wanted to bring it to you because I'm leaving. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Yeah. It's terrible. Kind of crushing, so I, yeah. I wore big sunglasses the whole day <laughs> and hugs, and I've got piles of cards, which I love when kindergarten and first grade do them because you can't read any of it. I'm like, what language is that? It's amazing. <laughs> but that, I'd let you know, you're at least making an impact and you're mm -hmm. going the right direction. Mm -hmm. So tell us, in this season of your life, how are you letting your light shine? Well... I think I have a pretty big influence through the school. Um, my biggest change, so as we enter this new phase of life, you know, two of the boys have moved out, so less impact on them. Jaden's moving to a new school as well, and I don't physically have the ability to do my job the way I always did my job in PE. So moving now into a big-time leadership position, I guess, uh, as the principal of a Christian school, I don't think my scope changes, but my range does because now I advance beyond just the students, but I have more of an effect over the teachers as well yeah. and putting people in place that are going to feed into these kids. So I think basically by applying all of the knowledge that I've learned through the School of Hard Knocks over the last you know 30 years, and sharing that with both the students and the teachers, that's kind of where my light is shining right now. That's the season I'm in at this point, trying to project a positive, strong leadership role to mm -hmm. them, but also doing the same with my staff. I think that's, I think the staff needs to be fed into just as much as the kids. And I would like to see that as, oh, this guy knows my name. You also let your light shine at home by your service that you give to your family. His love language is acts of service, and that's yeah. how he shows us love. And he makes the bed. He uh, goes grocery shopping. He mows the lawn. He's which is an Uber driver. That has nobody whose love language other than mine is acts of service. <laughs> no one cares. Like, yeah, of, they're all like, words of affirmation. They're like, where's my card? Shouldn't you say something nice to me also? <laughs> I've seen you cook a lot. I do like yeah, he cook. cooks, but you really have a servant's heart, and I think people that don't know you might not expect that out of you. You really do serve your family, though, yes. and being a partner with you and having a demanding career and being in ministry, Mark's a great partner sharing responsibilities with household chores and kids, and he, he will be the first person to drop what he's doing and bend over backwards for our family. That's true. Sometimes it's ready, fire, aim. Like when my wife comes home at 530 in the evening, it's like, go get our child now. <laughs> you, you, you know, it Out the in door. Colorado, right? All right. I'll see you in a couple of days. Yeah. Bye. And I really appreciate you because I couldn't do what I do if I didn't have you. So, 
Full stop. <laughs> His light shining. But I do feel like you, I need to hear more about your relationship with Jesus. Well, he and I, we go out and we have tacos and, <laughs> and how, how he's, <laughs> he's changed you. How about time. we incorporate that into the last question? Because, okay. you know, you know, an encounter that you've had that's with my God. my whole freaking life. I know. I mean, that's from like step one on. Right. Because I feel like God's had his hand on your life, See, even in the moments you're fighting that or in the moments that. Well, I sit back and I think like that and I was born totally cross-eyed and they were like yeah that might not be repairable and they gave me these weird baby glasses and i'm not cross-eyed anymore you're not at all no cancer free you're alive i know i mean your life is this continually amazing story that there's some adventure there is adventure but here's what is so amazing to me is that in the midst of it all all of your reactions to situations or experiences have you learning something and changing it and becoming better because i mean i feel like i've been around for a while to watch this play out not yep. the cancer stuff but since 19 years yeah, I, I think that that's one of the things when you're saying, how are you letting your light shine? To me, I have just seen you walk into a situation and some you win, some you lose, but that's everybody. But the ones that you lose, you're like, well, that didn't work out, so let's do better next time. And I just feel like nothing squashes you or nothing puts out your light. Water on a fire. Like you just don't let it overcome you. You just keep like, well, that didn't work. Yeah, I'm going to do better. See, my light goes down dimmer sometimes but i don't think it ever goes out it's i mean when you sit back and you're like I'm pretty sure i was supposed to be dead but i remember the doctor's face and he was like we got nothing there's you're showing nothing they're like no you show no signs of cancer in you when i was not in a cycle of treatment i was just in basically like mega vitamins you know when you see that you can sit back and be like all right i have a greater purpose so there's something and that's the thing I think everybody's like, oh, I have this greater purpose. Like it has to be something monumental. And I think people get hung up on that, that it's got to be, I have to be the next Jeff Bezos. I have to be the next Mark that does what he's supposed to do, mm -hmm. reflects the love of Christ and all of his interactions. And I think the other thing people forget, and I talk to my students about this a lot, Christ loved people, but boy, he didn't have a hard time telling you when you were really being stupid. And I think you have to be able to monitor that and do it in love. you know. And I could tell my kids, they're like, well, not my personal kids, but my students, when they're messing up. They're like, what am I doing wrong? He's like, well, you're not actually using your brain for anything here. So how about we step back and we reevaluate what we're doing mm -hmm. in the process and what we're doing it. And I think that's really how I show, I show the love of Christ in my life. And I celebrate the fact that he loved me so much that he didn't sacrifice me. <laughs> yeah, I think that's my big shine there is just trying to reflect and i don't have a problem talking to a lot of the kids about my stupid especially in health they'll be like well what about this and be like yeah i tried it. it i don't recommend it and here's why man i think too many people are ashamed of it and right they, it's just you it's just what i am who i am it was a part of my life you know and people are like if you could go back and do it all over again i, I can't so i don't even think about it so stop but I do really appreciate that you've let the situations push you towards looking more like Jesus or becoming more like Jesus or doing better in the next step. Okay, well, apart from your entire life, 
God saving you. And would you like to talk about some more supernatural stories or encounters you've had? No. With Jesus. <laughs> How about one? For a brief stint, I went back into retail. I uh, was working in a furniture store. And in the furniture store, I had a very weird customer lady. Looked kind of familiar. I don't know why, actually. <laughs> so I went up to approach her because nobody else had been talking to this lady and asked her, you know, is everything going on? What can we help you with? And she's like, so your name is Mark? And I was like, yes. And she goes, okay, well, I have a message for you. You're not there yet, and the journey's not over. It was something along those lines, though. She's like, you need to keep chasing hard after Christ. And I'm like, all right, this is weird. And then that was it. And then we had a meet with Chuck and your dad, actually, breakfast or lunch. And we were talking, and they're like, that's angelic. That's important. You need to look at that. And it was shortly after that where Beth did the assessment on me and said, you need to be a teacher. I'm like, let's do it. Yeah. Which was funny because even becoming a teacher, because she's like, you need to be a teacher. And I was like, that doesn't even exist. And I think the very next day is when you called her and said, guess who's quitting Heartland? I think yeah, was, he made that list. I made him write it out. I said, what are you passionate about? I think it was about? the very What's next your day. vision? And you, you were at Heartland and you called and you said, guess who just turned in his resignation? The physical education I teacher. I totally forgot about that. So he went up there the next day, turned his resume in. Tell him about when Jesus showed up at your bed. So a year ago, no, it was a little over a year ago. It was about mm -hmm. February, about a year ago. I was looking at a couple of different things. There's another Christian Academy that's out in PA and was looking at them and then some other options and toying with, do I leave here and go back into retail? Because I had I had moonlighted at Dollar General through COVID because I had the opportunity to do that. And then they offered me a pretty nice position. And I'm like, oh, well, do I do this? So I guess I have to give you some backstory. So as a little kid, I used to have terrible, terrible nightmares. My dad, he's like, what is your problem? I was like, I have these horrible nightmares. And I keep seeing horrible things happening. And he goes, all right, do cartoons scare you? Like, no, who gets scared of a cartoon? He goes, all right, then just dream and cartoon. And people are like, that just doesn't work. Okay, well, I dream and cartoon, even to this day. So if it's a real person or something, I'm like, I pay attention to that. And I had this vision, dream, encounter. I don't know what you want to call it. I got up and was getting my PE shorts on and shirt. And I was sitting at the end of the bed and Jesus came in and sat down. And he goes, let you know, you're right where we need you to be. It's going to be a really tough year. You're going to have some trials and some tribulations, and there's going to be some issues, and you're going to want to run away, and you're going to have some other opportunities, but you're where I want you to be. Stick with it, and I'll take care of you. And it was hard, and we did. We had some opportunities. In January, I had another opportunity from another Christian school to go, and it was financially, it was a better situation than where we are currently. Well, on paper, it looked like a better situation. In reality, it wasn't going to be a better situation. And thanks to the wisdom of my wife, we didn't make any. Plus, she was like, you know, you had this vision and Jesus told you, stay. Let's not screw with that because we've done that before and that didn't work out well. So I stayed. And I think the second part is also just as important because, you know, I don't like that Steve Backlund guy. His laugh makes Let's me... Let's just laugh at that. Oh, no. Uh, one of the messages that we had in our Sunday school class was him talking, and he was talking about... He's like, you got to know Logos, but you better listen to the Rhema word. And I'm like, oh, 
you know, Rayma had sent some stuff. He, would you be interested in this? And I'm like, oh, this can't be coincidence. You know, you better listen to the Rayma word. Well, it was about a year's time. And I was in the place where God was like, stick around. I'll take care of you. I mean, it's really hard to leave Heartland. But I really feel good about where we're going and what's about to happen. The Rhema Word. I'm trying to listen to the Rhema Word. I said, how can you argue with Jesus? Like, why are we even having this conversation? I don't know. (laughs) I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Joseph did. So I I can. I love that example you're talking about that in Sunday school. There was a word. I don't remember who gave the word, but it was talking about the difference between the Logos word and the Rhema word. Was it in that too? Or he was saying, you know, Scripture tells us, go out into all the world and preach the gospel, and that is the plan. And we say yes and amen to that because it's Scripture. But Rhema comes in when Paul says... You know what, guys? I'm going to go here. And then you get a dream or an angelic visitation where the angel says, Paul, you're not going there. You're going here. So, yes, we obey and we listen to the word. We listen to scripture. We focus on the logos. But the rhema, when the rhema comes in, you're not going here. You're going here. That's for us at that time. See, I think that's also the benefit. I had a dad who was really firm. And if he said something, you did it. He's like, don't touch that. There was always a reason why I would say that. And you were like, once maybe you would. And I think I have that lesson ingrained. And I'm like, oh, my other father, he told me, don't do that, but do this. So that's worked out over the last year marvelously to this point. Stay tuned, sports For fans. your good. <laughs> For your good, his glory. But I don't get to wear shorts to work anymore. Sorry. I know, weird. <laughs> it's weird. It was weird seeing you in a suit yesterday. When you came to the day. door and you're like, I'm leaving. Like, oh, that's weird. It's every day now. Tie and everything. I know. Good thing you like to iron, too. <laughs> so good to have that support. Thanks for coming on, Mark. We've waited a really long time to have two you. Two years. To me, it would have been two Never, more. I know. <laughs> Glad to have you now. Make right. sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.